thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, ladies, inviting you into our next 28-day hormone reset program, which is starting really soon. January 30th, we're going to kick off our, I guess, a premiere program. We have been changing lives the last few years with this program. So what can I say? If you haven't done it before, now's the time to join in. What do you get with the program, Andrea? Um, We would so love for you to join us because, uh, like you said, the changes that we do get with these women is incredible. Um, So you get an evidence-based nutritional plan, targeted lifestyle changes to help to reset and restore your hormonal balance exercise guides specific to your metabolic reserve, meditation and stress reduction techniques, low-tox living guides, easy-to-make recipes, food lists, meal plans, um, so much more. But I think most importantly, you get one-on-one access to us every single day for 28 days. You get exclusive access to our 28-day resetter group um, with lifetime access to that as well. Um, So, ladies, if you do have any kind of hormonal issues that you are ready to now start to change, um, or if you just feel like it's um, it's the time to go through a bit of a health reset or change for you, then now is the time. So come and join us on our 28-day reset um, that starts on the 30th of January. Jump in. It's all links are on our website. So you can go to thewellnesswomen.com.au forward slash reset 28. It's $125 normally, but we're going to give you a very special promo code. We want uh, you to save $28, just like the reset 28. So if you want to save some money, use the promo code Happy 2021. Hey there, wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Room Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And don't forget, you can find us on social media. We are the Wellness Women official on Instagram, the Wellness Women on Facebook. You can find Ash as Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. I'm the Period Whisperer on Instagram. No, wait. I'm the Period Whisperer on Facebook and DrAndrea.xo on Instagram. Totally messed that up, but that's okay. And ladies, if you've been a regular listener of ours for a while, thank you. We love having you in our tribe. But I also want to ask a favor. I want you to stop what you're doing, except if you're driving. You can come back and do that later. You can keep us playing in the background. I want you to jump onto iTunes, give us a five-star rating and leave a little review there as well, please, because that is what keeps us in the top um, of iTunes and we love that. Um, And if you're listening to it on Spotify or whatever else, you can still go and um, rate and review. So we would love that. Five-star ratings and reviews, please, ladies. Thank you. 
Okay, now we can get on to the real stuff <laughs> now that I've done that little public service yeah. announcement. Oh, look, I think there's great value in a lot of I think, you know, anyone who works in socials and who works in media stuff, I mean, we're clearly the the, the most untalented in all those, those areas. But we do know that um, when people leave those reviews, it allows us to bump up there and, and get this information out there. And I think that's, you know, the big purpose, the big why. Why do you want that out there? Because then women can get real information that means something that matters, that can change lives, and that's, uh, that's our job driving force for this podcast. So, you know, it's a bit like uh, tonight's episode. We're going to be talking about perimenopausal hell. Now, I think even just saying the word perimenopause, most women start to shudder and shake because um, they've got so many ideas about what that will look like for them. Um, what it, you know has looked like for their mothers possibly um, or their girlfriends who might be starting to go through those signs and transitions and there's two key aspects to this that we're going to cover tonight obviously um, in the next few episodes we're going to cover major life transitions in women and that's uh, that's going to include puberty and also perimenopause and these these incredible transitions not just hormonally but physically spiritually mentally emotionally there's really big changes that go on in these periods and uh they're so often so under appreciated or under respected um as important as you know necessary to have knowledge on as uh what should be revered but instead feared so for me, uh, I love having this conversation tonight because I sort of come to it from more of the spiritual angle. I'm really interested in the socio, you know, the sociology, the the cultural um, nuances around these transitions and traditions. And obviously, Andrea is the period mister of reason, and she's just hormone queen. So <laughs> I think together we bring a you know a good scope and a good uh, good synthesis of ideas, science, you know, culture, history, and how yeah. we can transition and navigate this period um, with grace, with acceptance and obviously do the very, very best and hopefully avoid uh, the hormonal hell that so many women experience. Oh, Ash, it's so interesting that you said with grace and acceptance because I think that those are two massive things that will never, well, not will never, but are really hard for women to sort of, um, I guess, embody when it comes to Mary Mary Penopause. What is with my words tonight? Perimenopause. And the reason that we have like titled this episode Perimenopausal Hell is because that is a lot of what I hear so often when I'm seeing patients who are going through these huge tumultuous fluctuations of their hormones and like massive hormonal imbalances and big, big changes. It's like the biggest roller coaster that they've, you know, of hormonal imbalance that they've ever had. And they're, they're in hell because this perimenopausal transition time, it is a transition. It, um, on average, it starts for women at about age 46, but you may actually be starting to notice some earlier signs and symptoms of it. And we can even get some signs like in our earlier thirties as well. So, you know, I'm 35 now. I am not thinking of the fact that I'm going to be, you know, approaching perimenopause within the next, you know, 10 years most likely, but I'm trying to prepare for it already. So I'm trying to make sure that I'm keeping my body, my hormones, my stress levels, which I do a terrible job of at the moment, but everything else is balanced as I can so that I don't have to go through that, you know, possible 10 years of absolute hell when it gets to that midlife stage. And I think one of the reasons why it is so difficult for so many women is because this kind of period has only really just been recognized as a period of transition um, for women out of cycling. So we kind of see it as the end of our um, end of our fertility, the end of our childbearing years, the end of our reproductive function, because we know once we start to get those symptoms that, um, you know, pregnancy is probably fairly unlikely, but it's also our periods don't end there. And usually there's some horrific symptoms that come along the way before we actually get to that final menstrual period, 12 months from that, and then you're in menopause. And this time has been so misunderstood that even medically speaking, it's only been recently recognized as actually a, a time or a transition time of a woman's life. And before it was always just seen as menopause. So you're either cycling, you were fertile, or you're in menopause. And there was no um, sort of gray area in between like there is now. And all of the horrific symptoms that we normally associate with menopause, so things like, you know, depression, anxiety, sleeplessness, hot flushes, vaginal dryness and atrophy, low estrogen um, levels, and everything else that goes along with that, we normally 
normally attest that to menopause, but in reality, the most horrific symptoms that we get um, associated with that is actually happening because of the dramatic hormonal fluctuations in perimenopause, not necessarily menopause. Um, If we get this right, though, menopause can be a breeze, but if not, these perimenopausal years of, um, you know, huge ups and downs can sometimes for some women last anywhere from 5 to 13 years. So it is so well worth trying to get a handle on this so that you're not suffering uh, for such a long time. And so many women do absolutely suffer in silence because, you know, you might get to say 45 and all of a sudden you're having irregular periods again. You're having crazy periods. Um, You might be having the heaviest periods that you've ever had in your life um, and your cycle is all over the place. But at the same time, you're raging um, and you might feel like you're having the worst PMS that you've ever had, but you're not sleeping well, you're getting night sweats, um, you know, you might be having anxiety and everything else along the way. And all of, su- all of a sudden your metabolism slows down. You're gaining weight like you never have before, despite your diet and exercise being exactly the same. But you're thinking, I am too young to be going through menopause. This is not menopause. What is this? And there's so much denial and shame that goes along with it. Because it's also that pull back into our youth of this can't mean that my fertile years, that age of motherhood, for example, is over. So that's why so many people suffer in silence and don't actually talk about this. And I really think that at the moment, Western medicine is just not equipped to um, to deal with this properly or understand it properly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something, um, you know, we don't recognize is, the challenge because a lot of women going through perimenopause are also often dealing with hormonal teenagers. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, oh, my poor husband, we're going to have a perimenopausal woman very likely and we're going to have teenagers going through massive transitions. This household would be a total crazy house. But it's it's so common, isn't it, that often women can't even have the moment to, you know, manage, think about or, or consider their own experience because they're often dealing with such a um, – highly volatile stage in their family's lives. You know, it's really yeah. common for a woman to have a child, you know, at 30. We've got teenagers and we'll have a 45 to, you know, 50-year-old mother um, and that's really going to kind of, it's like a clash of ages. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that so interesting? Ash, you won't experience that though because you will have like beautifully balanced hormones <laughs> throughout perimenopause and we'll keep your teenagers really nice and balanced. So don't worry, we've got this. Um, well, look, the good thing it's is you've got... Uh, like from one side to the other, right? Sorry, what were you going to yes. say? No, I was going to say I've got you as a friend. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we've got this. Um, I'm totally in your corner for that. But it's funny that it's almost like two ends of the spectrum. So in puberty, we've got all sorts of massive hormonal fluctuations and we are going to go into that in a later episode. Um, but then on the flip side, then we've got as we're coming out of, you know, transitioning out of our fertile years. And it doesn't mean that we stop making eggs or releasing eggs. Sometimes we might have anovulatory cycles along the way. Um, But those hormonal fluctuations are just as, if not more dramatic than what they were in puberty. It's crazy. Um, So Mm -hmm. no wonder so many women are suffering so much and they call this time or this period of their life just absolute hell. Um, And it can be different for each woman as well. Well, they say that, what, 20% of women, no symptoms, Mm -hmm. 60% mild to moderate symptoms, and 20% of women are suffering. So clearly 80% of women know about this experience in their life. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that I see uh, like the 20% as the women who walk through my door. (laughs) Yeah, that would make sense, right, because that's the stage that you reach out because you're desperate. You know, those those considerable changes are are quality of life affecting. So, um, you know, it's unfortunately requires – intervention of some sort you know it requires that help uh because it's not just the physical change but most often i suggest you'd find it's the mental emotional changes mm-hmm. that's you know got women coming in because they can't live like that they can't experience that highs and lows depression anxiety often come you know in in big waves in this time in a woman's life as well yeah yeah so ash from um, i guess your right-brained um perspective of um I guess this transition of a woman's life, what is your take on the sort of cultural side of things? Look, I think that um, in terms of the stages, this is just that that transmission moving away from the the childbearing, that child-centric 
stage of life. And you'll often find it's where we move into the don't give an F stage of life, like it's your stuff, not my problem, going to do things my way, um, because they're saying to let go of that that nurturing um, experience driven obviously by hormones and things like that. So it's a really interesting one because it's a lot of times you find this is like crisis points in women's lives. What am I doing? Why am I here? My kids don't need me. Do I love this job? Do I love this marriage? Is this person I want to be with the rest of my days? Like you just see there's a lot of divorce happens in this age and stage as well. Um, there's been some you know interesting conversations about that quite simply because the woman is changing so much and so rapidly, not just in the physical sense, but in the mental, emotional, spiritual sense, um, you can imagine it's like a tsunami for partners. You know, they yes, they really just get to describe it. Yeah. yeah, they get overwhelmed and flooded with these changes, uh, which might seem very you know reasonable and rational in a woman's experience, but to a partner, you know, with their their marriage of twenty five years, they might be looking going oh, my God, what, you're going to quit your job and you want to go start art classes? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's these kind of dramatic um, transitions. It's often a time when women are called to the more creative senses. You know, they're, they're called to things to do, to make, to craft, to create. You know, they're saying to, you know, it's almost like the, the, the elder woman sitting in the tribe basket weaving. You know, it's that idea that they, there's contributions in different ways. Um, so that could be a real challenge because a lot of the times women have fought so hard through their careers and they're reaching pinnacle stages, you know, corporate level CEOs, um, business owners, business managers. Like there's just there's that that pinnacle effect because they've spent 10, 20 years in their career to that point to get there. And all of a sudden it's this crisis point. And I'm sure a life coach, you know, who works in specific um, areas regarding, you know, coaching um, and direction in this point would recognize this too. And I'm sure they all say the same thing. Oh, my gosh, that's my most common client um, demographic. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it really is this release, this change um, just from a hormonal physical sense, but that spiritual emotional sense too. So I find that really interesting um, that, you know, culture as well surrounding that menopause, um, they often talk about this idea that women can often feel less sexy, you know, less sexual. Um, they lose, they, it's almost like they start to become jealous of the younger, fertile woman. That, that's also something can happen. And you see that in corporate levels where women, see younger women as threatening um, almost because they do embody a more fertile um, expression, which is what's being lost in that life. So, you know, understanding that transition and recognizing where some of those energies or those jealousies or those envies might be coming from um, can really help support a woman's transition in particularly in roles of leadership, I believe. Oh, that's so interesting. I get that. And I totally think that it's amazing for women to get to that point where they don't they're like, nope, I don't give an F. This is now my time, um, mm. as it absolutely should be. But I can also see how that could be quite um, unsettling um, for the family structure because all of a sudden mum's going through or, you know, whoever it might be. It may not be mum. It might be just, um, you know, someone's partner who is going through all of these things and there's so much internal conflict probably not just emotionally but also physically, that it can be a little bit challenging for men to keep up with that or know how to navigate that with them. Uh, so I think we need to do a masterclass on perimenopause just for men. Like this is how you help support your the beautiful women in your life to kind of get through this um, with with grace, as you as you said before, or just, you know, how to be really comfortable through this transition as well. And I think if we look at First of all, let's just give you some idea of what you might be experiencing and what some of the, um, I guess, early signs and symptoms are of kind of getting into that perimenopausal um, hormonal transition. And that is, um, first of all, the thing that I see most commonly is actually a shortening of the cycle. So instead of it being sort of 28 to 30 days, we might see it coming sort of every 25 days and then every 21 days. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. And the first thing is, is because in this transition, we actually get a big surge of estrogen. So we go into this estrogen excess state. Um, and with that, we usually also have a little bit of a um, progesterone deficiency at the same time. And remembering that progesterone is what helps to stabilize that cycle to keep it that proper length. It also has that beautiful sedative effect on the brain um, and is quite protective um, for the brain uh, for moods and anxiety and and everything else. So we normally see that um, the shortening of the cycle, um, the PMS increasing dramatically. We see a lot of PMDD or that premenstrual disorder happening around then as well. Um, But then also um, we'll get lots of heavy bleeding. Like women will tell me that they've got heavier periods 
symptoms now than what they've ever had. And the bleeding can be quite sporadic as well. So you might start your period with a couple of days of, you know, things are okay. And then all of a sudden you're flooding for five days straight and then the bleeding will stop and then that'll happen all over again. Um, and so it's just, it's really confronting for women. And because the bleeding is so heavy, often it can mean that they're not leaving the house. They're not able to go to work and all sorts of things. So, um, the management of the heavy bleeding that happens in perimenopause is almost an art all into itself. Also for practitioners too. So I think we could probably do again, another podcast episode entirely on managing heavy bleeding in perimenopause. Um, so that might be a little bit of a masterclass, but, um, as I said, this is new with that, they'll get this new onset of PMS, they'll often get a lot of breast tenderness as well. And that's with that surging estrogen excess, the poor metabolism of the estrogen, but also with that una, the, without the opposition of progesterone. Um, and then again, all those symptoms that go with it. So night sweats, um, hot flushes, because you'll often get these periods of quick, sudden estrogen withdrawal and estrogen deficiency and sometimes almost localized estrogen deficiency, which will then at the same time as having some estrogen excess symptoms, you'll also have that possibly vaginal changes with lower levels of estrogen, which might feel like vaginal dryness, um, less elasticity within the tissue walls. Um, often women will say that their vaginal tissue feels like tissue paper, like they might get tearing and bleeding and, um, you know, sex can be so uncomfortable for them as well um, and all sorts of other uh, sort of symptoms that go along with that. But all of these are absolutely manageable um, when you know what you're doing, I guess. Um, so those are some of the, you know, the warning signs and the things that we hear really commonly when moving into perimenopause. And what are some of the common things, Andrea, that you find um, in terms of effective transitions? What are some of the things you suggest to women to make this uh, transition as comfortable as possible? Um, I, you know, preparation is always key. And I think we're always a fan of, um, prevention is better than, is always better than cure. So, you know, as yeah. I mentioned before, like I am fully aware of the fact that now I'm 35, what are my next sort of five to 10 years going to look like for me hormonally? And mm. what should I be doing now to kind of help to prepare for that? And yeah. as we mentioned in, um, some of our menopausal episodes previously, the way you did your cycles is a really good indication as to how well you're going to do perimenopause and menopause. So you've got, again, about 400 chances to get it right, depending on how many babies you have <laughs> um, or, yeah. you know, your contraceptive choices along the way. So, for example, um, if you are already, if you haven't got to perimenopause yet, but you're already experiencing hormonal fluctuations, um, if you're getting really severe PMS or any of those symptoms, these are little warning signs and maybe um, whispers from your body that things aren't quite right. And it's worth looking into that and starting to address and fix that now. Um, it's interesting that if we look at other cultures around the world, and I think they often um, look to Asian cultures, um, particularly Asian women at around this age, because um, it's it's very different what they go through as opposed to what Western women experience of perimenopause and menopause. And it's more cultural rather than actually genetic. And the reason I say that is because um, the studies that they've done, for example, if I say Japanese women, they don't experience perimenopause the same way we do. And there's a few reasons for that. One, um, and this is if they, if they live in their country of origin. So it, this gets thrown out the window if they move to a Western um, country and adopt a Western culture. They then also go through the same um, often perimenopausal or menopausal hell that um, often Western women will go through as well. And they've found that there's a couple of reasons for that. So the first one is that um, their food is quite different often quite a bit higher in, you know, fiber and vegetables and a bit more seasonal, but also their food is rich in phytoestrogens. So things like tofu, tempeh, tamari, um, or soy products and everything else. And they tend to do better on soy than what Western women will as well. They're Oh, sorry, what were you going to say, Ash? I was going to say that's really interesting. And is that um, in relation to their diet and lifestyle leading up to this perimenopausal period or is it specific changes they make through this transition? I think it just comes naturally to them because um, mm. it's just part of their, their um, normal diet. 
um, that they would be exposed to and they've probably been exposed to fermented versions of soy throughout their yeah. whole life. Yeah. Um, so they're well equipped to deal with that. Um, they've also, their BMI tends to be less than what, um, you know, women in, in Western countries and they tend to hold a lot less fat than we do as well, which is important um, because that extra body tissue is its own endocrine producing organ and usually it's those toxic versions of estrogen um, that we get around that time. So they don't tend to then gain weight in perimenopause as well, which is a really important thing. Um, and then I also think the third thing, and this is just my interpretation of it, I think that culturally they have a reverence for ageing Mm-hmm. rather than in, for example, most of Western society, um, particularly in, you know, Australia and America and, um, you know, the UK and those sorts of places, we're always looking backwards into how can we, um, what is the fountain of youth and what is the elixir of youth and what sort of things can we be doing to um, keep our wrinkles at bay and our grey hair and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so we don't necessarily um value um age it's all about youth and fertility and um you know being a perky um tight young woman (laughs) is is more what we sort of um value in western culture which is um probably quite sad but i do think that part of that is why um you know asian and for example in the studies that i've read recently japanese women tend to sort of sail through this this transition zone with with minimal interruption or or issues so if we could somehow um, then take those lessons and apply that to us now I think that what would be really useful is like helping um, our systems to stay within a healthy weight range and starting that as quickly as you can so starting that before you get to perimenopause would be excellent so even setting yourself a goal that before you get to cert, you know say this age what are you going to do to try and maintain a really healthy body weight for you and i know that bmi doesn't necessarily take into account a whole bunch of things but what would be a healthy body weight for you that has good lean muscle mass and like that good healthy active muscle tissue and not too much excessive um sort of i guess toxic fat uh, so that would be the first thing. So exercise and um, dietary choices are key. And with the dietary changes, um, I think making sure that women just have heaps of fiber in their diet because that will aid with hormonal metabolism. Um, and particularly if you go back and listen to the podcast episode that we did on estrogen metabolism, that will sort of put things into perspective as to why fiber is so important. Um, already having a diet that might be rich in some of those phytoestrogens as well um, as we start to get to that perimenopausal transition. But I would encourage more fermented versions of soy. Um, So, yeah, tempeh, tamari, miso, those sorts of things. Um, Ash, what I I could see like on the edge, like wanting to jump in there. What what, what were you (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I was was thinking about, you know, I love the way we think and talk. You know, I really love that um, what you were saying there. You're talking about dietary lifestyle, you know, environmental changes. And yet I would have to suggest that this is probably one of the most medicalized aspects of women's health. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as soon as you start talking perimenopause and menopause, the big HRT conversation comes out, hormonal replacement, which interestingly they have uh, changed. I wonder if it's related to stigma and uh, representation, but, you know, they're now calling it um, menopausal hormone therapy, you know, yeah. MHT. Yeah, and I thought that was really therapy. So that it's yeah, I thought that they were, you know, I feel like that's a marketing PR um, stunt, by the way, because, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, HRT has had such a bad rap and it helps to remove them from studies related to HRT. Oh, no, we're not talking about HRT. You know, I feel like this is almost like a really clever um, smokescreen to remove uh, our awareness or our consciousness to the negative aspects of the evidence that has been presented in the past. Um, But, you know, this is a time when most women will be starting to have conversations with each other and the the standard thing is doctor and hormones you know it's it's not considering lifestyle it's not considering diet it's not considering stress responses or sleep or any of these other aspects that significantly um negatively impact our hormonal you know cascades through our lifestyle um i i find that it's a little frustrating when we're talking um hormone replacement before we start talking lifestyle you know and diet and um, do you know, uh, during this transition, like 
in quotation marks, hormone therapy or hormone replacement therapy is not just the hormones that they're given. This is also a time of, um, and this age period is when women are really encouraged to go on oral contraceptives as well, which I find really concerning for a number of reasons um, because the, and this is all just part of the absolute misunderstanding of what happens hormonally for women um, in Western medicine and why they're just wanting to paint everyone with the same brush, for example, with um, oral contraceptives because it will be mimicking a menstrual cycle, right? Um, And then women can skip and do all sorts of things if they want to, but it also is making them feel like they're still maintaining their youth with the, um, you know, that that constant, um, you know, flow of estrogen and um, or synthetic estrogen and progestin that's along there Um, but at the same time when we've got estrogen excess why would we want to add more estrogen into that and particularly a synthetic version that is so much stronger than what your own body is making you've already got estrogen metabolism issues going on there if you're having those symptoms then why are you putting again those synthetic hormones into your body that's going to be backing up the liver it's going to be putting pressure on the gut because we know it has an antibiotic like effect on the gut so then that phase three metabolism of, um, you know, estrogen is not happening because of the effects of the oral contraceptives. So, yes, we may get some symptomatic change. Maybe some women get so much um, worse on that. Um, and just for that to even be a viable option, I just it just blows my mind. The other thing they're offered so um, commonly is the Marina IUD at that time as well, particularly if women are having heavy periods because often it will decrease the heaviness of their period or stop it altogether. So some women mm. think that's fantastic and they will keep that in until well into their 50s. Um, but there's also always downsides with that as well. Um, yeah, I, I find it so so interesting. This is, you know, conversations we have. But if I was to just be a regular consumer, let's just take somewhere like Harvard, considered gold standards in evidence and studies and support of information. Um, you know, they have um, a report here on perimenopause and I nearly choked on a few paragraphs. I'm like, how can they say this stuff? How interesting. What a, Like if I was not able to find the research, I would take this as gospel, right? Um, but they're talking about, oh, you know, vasomotor symptoms, which is related to hot flushes, um, saying that unless you've had a hysterectomy, you'll likely need to take a progestin to reduce the risk of endometrial cancer. Um, and you can take a low-dose estrogen by pill or patch. Conjugated equine estrogen is the recommendation. Um, so that- that is estrogen from horses' urine. Horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, uh, you know, and again, hormonal, you know, suffering hormonal irregularities, or you need contraception uh, and don't smoke. <laughs> so. Well, I agree with that last part. I think not smoking is is just good advice for everybody. Um, and yeah. uh, there yeah. are some uh, hormone therapy now that's not um, it's not all uh, from horses' urine, um, but that's still often like really really common. It's just, and often they'll use beta blockers for the vasomotor symptoms and they'll use antidepressants as well. Yeah, I was about to say, just go further and you've got SSRIs and you've got um, gabapentin being used, you know, which is an epilepsy drug. Um, Clonidine, which is a, you know, a blood pressure drug. Um, This is called off-script use of medication, right? This is when we start using medications with no effect for, you know, off-script conditions. So let's just say taking um, an epilepsy drug for, um, symptoms of menopause. Now, mm-hmm. I'm just going to have my little rant here because I'm finding it really concerning. Just today, I had a conversation with one of my lovely women in my practice, and her father nearly died last week. And he nearly died because of incorrect use, or co- actually technically correct use, of off script prescription of medication. Oh, man. You know, and so they had been asked to come into the hospital to administer last rites. And thankfully, she is a medical practitioner herself. She's in, uh, uh, you know, in a great depth of knowledge. She had a look at his medical records and realized there was a massive drug clash going on. And as soon as she got in there and demanded he be taken off X, Y, Z, um, within two days he was up and functioning again. But he was like clonic on the bed. And I thought, you know, again, we have to be, take this seriously. And I just want to have this little moment to express this because, you know, so often we have faith in, in pharmacology, um, but we don't realize that these are not things that are studied or prescribed for the condition. You know, these are not drugs studied or prescribed for perimenopause. Um, so please don't ever fall into that trap of thinking, oh, well, you know, 
this apparently helps me um, because we don't want you to be one of the, you know, iatrogenic stats, you know, people who've passed from correctly prescribed medication. Um, and those numbers are huge. So it's um, it's not, yeah. I was- cause of death in the world is from uh, medical mistakes and iatrogenic issues. So yeah, um, that is that is absolutely terrifying. And I think it speaks yeah. to, um, you know, there's so many parallels there with just the way that women are treated within the medical world um, yes. and that so often medicine has failed women and it can even just be with the research studies that they're doing that they're only testing, um, you know, certain things or making inferences from male studies, which is just not even relevant relevant to women um, and not relevant to women today, but it's just that this transition in a woman's life, these hormonal transitions are not properly understood, which is why I think um, so many things are just thrown at them like, here, let's try this, let's try this, let's just um, stop the communication between your pituitary <laughs> gland and your ovaries, let's take your own hormones offline and we'll use these instead and then, um, you know, we'll just keep you on that until you can't stand it anymore pretty much. Um, fortunately, in my practice, I do have so many women coming in going, okay, I've been on HRT for five years, I understand that if I'm on it for longer than this, my my increased risk of breast cancer and everything else does start to go up. So I want yeah. to come off HRT, and I think awesome, that's amazing. You're well informed. Let's do it, and this is how we do it. Um, but at the same time, it's it's so challenging, and I yeah, it's it's no wonder that we do what we do. And I think the other thing that's really challenging is that there's no there's not necessarily a test for me- perimenopause as there is menopause. So for menopause, for example, we would be testing, um, we'd be looking at serum hormones, your FSH and your LH would both be really, really high. And we'd go, okay, you're probably not going to have a period anymore, or it may be finishing within the next 12 months, for example. Whereas that necessarily isn't true for perimenopause. They can still have normal FSH levels. You can still um, be ovulating as well. So you can still have uh, like estrogen and progesterone coming in. You can still have good levels of testosterone as well, or you could have high testosterone just depending on the woman. So um, there's not necessarily a blood test for it, but there are some hints that can be going on. So I usually like to really have a good look at obviously the hormonal panel. I like to also look at stress hormones too, because this is a big one. Um, and I like to look at things like DHEA as well. What I tend to find is that women um, who are struggling through perimenopause have low DHEA, which is like that mother hormone that then converts down into all the other good things that we need. Um, the FSH and LH might be normal, but there might be low progesterone. And then obviously that low progesterone is usually relative to elevated estrogen. And I always check their thyroid because remember that the thyroid gland is always that end organ um, that gets affected by stress and the hormonal fluctuations and everything else. And because of um, how much more sensitive you will be to stress and how um, your metabolism is changing as well, really thoroughly monitoring the thyroid can be essential during this time period. Um, so just for testing purposes, that can be really useful. Um, and if we've got some big sort of estrogen metabolism symptoms going on. I really like looking at those pathways. Um, okay. Super important. It's all about the science too, isn't it? Uh, you, you don't know what you don't test. So it's an incredibly important time to test those hormones because then you know a whole lot more and it helps to guide, you know, treatment direction uh, and choices, which is, again, so empowering when you have knowledge. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Test, test, test. I'm going to transition from science back to spirituality. I think that'd be a nice way to leave this episode because yeah, um, I'm totally going to talk before we end though um, about <laughs> sure, uh, okay. strategies. So like, yeah, but go, you go, Ash. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to dip into spirit just for a second yeah, and then you can awesome. you can grab into strategies. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've heard of this wonderful uh, lady. I'm hoping one day we can grab her and get her on this podcast because she's quite an interesting woman uh, with some beautiful thoughts and a lot of, lot of uh, qualifications to her name. Her name's Jane Hardwick-Collings and uh, she's done a lot of work on these cycles and seasons of women. And so, one um, of those... Sarah, who is my PA, if you're listening, can you write that name yeah. down and contact her to be on the show, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ash, and go. Awesome. Well, she was talking about, um, you know, she had a, a general breakdown in terms of um, cycles of women and she had a three-phase cycle, which she called the triple goddess. Um, and this was the birth, uh, you know, being uh, 
transition and season of maiden, then comes childbirth, transition to mother, then menopause, transition um, to crone, and of course then the final rite of passage being death. Um, and she recently updated that, and I thought it was really interesting because she's also recognising just like our menstrual cycle has seasons, um, so do does a woman's life cycle. And uh, she's updated to talk about something called the four-phase feminine way, and I think this is something I'd love to have her on to have a chat about because I'm sure she'll do it far more justice. But I'm just going to quickly summarise to help you as a woman understand um, how these transitions work and, and why they are the way they are. But her, her updated version um, brings maiden a mother, but she's introduced a new new one called Marga, and this is this transition between mother and menopause, but not to that point of crone, you know, that um, complete dissolution of menstrual cycling. So, And this Marga stage was, um, is so interesting because the way it's described in a um, sort of ancient spiritual setting is that Marga is this idea that, hang on, I'm not a crone yet. You know, I haven't gone into menopause. I've still got lots to give. Um, I am starting to find physical limitations because obviously, you know, aging processes and changes in the physical body. However, I, you know, I don't need to dedicate my life to others um, unless for the things I'm passionate about. And again, it's this idea that um, the life experience and the wisdom that has been learned on the journey has brought to a really stable and rich foundation. And that's what I was talking about before, about how, you know, this brings big transitions um, in regards to what am I here for? What's my passion? I'm going to do that because, you know, time is at the essence and I'm going to do what I'm gifted for. And I thought that was a really, really interesting thing because her final statement there is, um, in this stage, I have arrived at myself in this season of life. And it was a really beautiful idea that it is and of itself, you know, filled with gift and opportunity as well, mm-hmm. um, even though we have so much negativity about it. Mm, I like that. And yeah. Um, all of those beautiful themes that we've talked about in the um, Menopause 101 episodes I think are so relevant here as well. Like this can absolutely be the springtime of a woman's life. This is, you know, so many women report feeling so amazing um, and just really come into their own um, once they come out the other side of this, but it yeah. doesn't have to be on the other side. It can be during and it can be just honouring the body and learning these lessons along the way. I love that. Um, Ash, when you hear the word the crone, for me it just it just has all sorts of negative connotations. I don't know why. Um, it does in our modern language yes. but not in historical context um, because it was an era where croning or saging was actually – the transition to the wise woman, you know, to the respected elder, to yes. the to the leader of the community. And I think that's something that, you know, in our, our society, um, it's almost like a woman starts to move from that marker to crone and they get thrown out on the trash heap. Yeah. You know, Western culture has no place. There's no value. What can you do for me? You know, I'm younger, I'm fitter, I'm better, I can do this myself, um, as opposed to going, wow, what have you learnt what gifts can you share with me? What wisdom can you impart? How can I, you know, transition my life um, through your experiences? Like I think those are the things that um, I just want, you know, women who are going through hugely challenging um, and difficult transitions through perimenopause to realise you are so full of gifts and wisdom, um, even though your teenage children may not listen to you. (laughs) There is so much to you to yeah, to give um, that to not not quit on those opportunities, and if it's not with someone immediate to you, um, to make sure you find those those places where you can share that wisdom. It may be you know the struggling mum next door with a new baby, and you can see how you can support that woman better um, than she's being supported currently. It may be that you can see you know a woman in your in your career, you know, going through something and saying that opportunity through wisdom and experience, you've got a lens to look through to say it's okay, you'll be okay. You know, this is an experience of mine and share those stories because human beings need stories to grow. Oh, I love that. Ash, that's so nice. Yeah. Well, we should have ended on that, but I really um, – No, no, like you, we you go back some, to you. <laughs> we, we, need, we need some tips. We need some that's things. Okay, fine. so ladies, what can you do at home? If you're in perimenopausal hell, where mm. do you start? What do you do? Okay, yep. this is – Normally a time when I would really strongly suggest find yourself a really great practitioner to work with. Um, If you need help with this, obviously we can help you um, or we can help try and point you in the direction of someone who can um, if, you know, um, 
you want someone in person, for example, whereas like if you're not in Perth, we can do Skype or, or, or something along those lines. But first and foremost, you've got to get those hormones balanced as best you can and it's absolutely possible. Um, some of the ways that you can do that is um, address the stress. This is never going to change. This is always going to be the advice. You've got to um, just remember that the best way to support your body through perimenopause and menopause is to nurture your adrenals. So you've got to identify the stress and then figure out, you know, the best stress reduction techniques that work for you and then whatever helps to nourish your adrenals as well. And whether that is simply just stress reduction techniques or gentle exercise or if it is herbs and, um, you know, B vitamins and, and those sorts of things along the way, um, you need to be looking at things that are going to support that progesterone production because we want to have good, nice, decent, juicy levels of progesterone um, for as long as we can. Um, and at the same time, you want to be having um, adequate estrogen metabolism. So you want to make sure that, again, those um, each phase of estrogen metabolism is working really well. We want that Goldilocks effect, so not too much, not too little. And we want to try and decrease inflammation in our system as best we can, which is definitely going to help with those symptoms. Um, one thing that I find that women of any time in their life just do not do well and that is on alcohol through perimenopause unfortunately and i i think it's because of the way that alcohol is metabolized and the fact that it increases inflammation but just getting off alcohol will really really help to um support uh just better perimenopausal um sailing through that zone whereas this is probably the time when you want it the most but i promise you it's going to be so much easier if you decrease or stop that um my favorite things or my favorite go-tos is a really good quality magnesium i usually use one with taurine in it as well which helps with just you know that really calming neurotransmitter support as well um b vitamins body identical hormones if need be so this is not hormone replacement therapy this is essentially like bioidentical hormones and again if need be um, chinese herbs do some really beautiful work at this time and the phytoestrogens in your food so i'm talking like flax seeds um uh what else am i thinking um tempeh tofu miso um natto tamari um Oh, there's, there's one other thing that's right on the tip of my tongue that I can't remember, but we'll post on social media. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and fiber, making sure that you're getting really adequate fiber. So two to three cups of veggies with each meal, ladies. That is a really good starting point. Beautiful. And I think at this stage as well, you know, really important mental health support, you know, counseling, coaching, psychology, if that's going to help you um, in terms of going through this transition. And my big one too is the education of loved ones. So I'm a big fan of sort of having that sit down, having that heart to heart with family so that they understand where you're at, what you're going through. Um, but when you're snapping and when you, you know, you're having those, uh, those experiences or when you're having a hot, hot flash walking down the street and they see you sweating and wiping everything, let them know what it is, explain it to you. try and uh, be educated enough to be able to share the experiences with your family so they understand. Mm -hmm. And a big one that I think a lot of women comment, you know, in my practice is, um, oh, my family is just so rude. And it's this idea that um, there's not empathy being expressed. So it may be that you just coach, you know, your kids or your husband to say, mum, I can see you're uncomfortable. I'm, you know, I'm sorry you're going through this or wow, that sounds really hard, you know, just just to help them rather than trying to fix you or say, oh, stop it, not you again, um, just to give them a one-liner that helps you feel supported um, with empathy and it's easy for them to do as well. So for me, that's another one because I just noticed it's probably my most common comment is like, like everyone else's problem and you can see quite easily that it's actually coming from, you know, from that individual and they just need to help the others around them uh, reflect that back to them and, you know, even just something as simple, you know, coach them to say, look, mum, is there, is there anything I can do to help? Not right now? Fine. Okay, cool. And they can walk away gracefully, peacefully <laughs> and not have a full-on clash. So um, I find that there's a stage where there's just a lot of stress in households. Uh, beautiful advice, Ash. Thank you. Okay, well, ladies, this turned into being a double episode. This was supposed to be like perimenopause 101. Ash, we've been talking for 59 minutes. Uh, oh so, wow ladies, cool um, we obviously loved it <laughs> yeah i know i know that's hilarious so hopefully um ladies you got stacks of value out of this if you've got any questions at all please let us know um if you're struggling with any symptoms or if there's something in particular that's worked for you we want to hear from you but also ladies if there's a, a certain topic that you want us to cover we want to hear from you too we've had all sorts of different requests and i'm loving it it's like super inspiring and there's things that are coming in where i'm going how have we not covered this topic before 
So you can send us a topic through any of our social media channels or simply just email us at info at thewellnesswomen.com.au. Um, Ash, I just had a thought as well. One of the most amazing things that we also see um, that women do so well on through perimenopause is actually when they do the reset, the 28-day hormone reset. And this is not a um, this is not a big plug or sell. I just I just remember we do actually have one coming up on the 30th of January. Um, so ladies, um, you've got about a week or so from when this comes out to sign up. And um, we do have quite a few women who are, you know, going through perimenopause and menopause who have such amazing changes because of the principles that the reset is all about that um, helps to address every single one of those areas to support hormonal balance through that transition. So um, if you are experiencing these symptoms and you want more support, that would be, I think, a really easy stopgap before going, you know, to the next step. So you can find out more about that on the website. So just um, thewellnesswomen.com.au forward slash 28 reset or something like that. You'll see it on the website. I did forward slash reset 28. <laughs> <laughs> Close, close. It's the other way around. It's all on there. You just go there. You'll find it. Links, links, links everywhere. So, uh, yeah, well, social media, I'm sure there's links in the bio as well. We usually put it up there so it's easy to find. Um, Yeah, I I agree with you, Andrew. I just, um, it sounds like a plug, but we just see the most fabulous feedback, you know, the most fabulous results. Um, I think the big one for me is finally removing that toxic uh, estrogenic or the, you know, hormone-inducing fat levels and how that makes such a dramatic change in a woman's experience of, you know, menopausal symptoms and perimenopausal symptoms. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually commonly surprised by the dramatic, you know, weight and mood, emotion and sleep changes that occur. Yeah, I and it's I really think cool. The time is right for it as well. Like everyone's yeah. sort of getting through January ready to actually start to make some changes. I can't believe we're almost at the end of January already. But yeah, I do think that the time is right. And I think it's the time's right for me to do it as well, I think. <laughs> so we'll be right there with you, ladies. I just did a cleanse in lockdown. It was so uh, convenient. I was, you know, stuck at home for two weeks and I decided to do my uh, my juice cleanse and detox protocol. And I was like, oh, wow, I couldn't have had a better time ever to try and get that done because usually I'm running like a mad shook, um, you know, working and childing and all those things that we do as women. So, yeah, I took the, took the grace pathway and thought, well, since I'm stuck here, I could, you know, grumble and groan or I could say, wow, I've just been given a perfect opportunity. So I think this uh, the reset amazing. does that for people too. Perfect opportunity. It's supported. There's a group environment. There's other women going through what you're going through and uh, there's us right there to coach you along the way. So cool. Anyway, ladies, right. I hope you loved the episode. We're signing off for tonight. Yes. <laughs> We've done the double. We didn't expect to. <laughs> I know. It just happened, but uh, you're welcome. Okay. So yeah. ladies, uh, just remember you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.